of the devil you don't know. Where it started was I was watching the show Lucifer just on Netflix. That's a good show, and they keep they keep going with it. You know that? I know. It, I I really enjoyed it. And no, so no. when I was in college, 22 years ago is when I graduated. So when I went into college in 96, my plan was to be Lutheran pastor. That was my goal. But I didn't. So I knew the thing about going into seminary, which like you get this sort of summer crash course in Greek to sort of try and figure out how to read the New Testament in Greek. You know, it's just like this three month thing. I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to really know it, you know. So in college, I studied Greek and Latin for two and a half years each. There was some overlap because I still finished in four, but but I really wanted to understand the language and read, you know, ancient texts. And, it, you know, obviously when you take it in college, you actually start, you don't start with the New Testament, you start with Homer, you start with Plato, you start with ancient, ancient Greek. And then you get to the New Testament and realize how much easier it is to read. <laughs> you got to that point. Senior year. I'm getting ready to go, graduating, getting ready to move on to the seminary. Uh, they have a thing called the candidacy committee. So if you're going to go on to seminary, you have to like have this council that interviews you and you have to meet certain criteria or whatever. They denied me. They, they wouldn't let me go. And the reason for that was for student loans. I had too much debt. They wouldn't allow you to continue because they of student loans. They wouldn't allow loan. me to be pastor to go to seminary to be a pastor because I had too much student loan debt. I didn't know it cost that much to be a pastor. Well, it's just a master's degree, but it's more student loan. I mean, it's another four-year degree. Oh, wow. Basically. Well, that's stuff I didn't know. Yeah. And now I have a classical language degree. <laughs> what the fuck do I do with it? Put it to use. <laughs> that's what you do. You know, yeah. just, just think it's not, it's not a useless degree. Like, it's not... Gender studies. It it's not, it's, yeah. you know. No, no. I yeah. mean, honestly, in my opinion, no bachelor's degree is useless. If you've got a BA, you've learned some skills, one way or the other. You've learned some things that are that help you, that bring you to the fore a little bit better. Is that necessary now in the day and age? I don't know. That's a whole other story. But for me, it was fine. Right now, like my day job, I work for a bank, for a local bank, as a tech ID, you know, system admin kind of thing. So I don't use Greek or Latin at all in my daily work, but but I think the skills I learned were were useful, were interesting. But now with this podcast, I get to bring it back, and I get to I get to bring those old skills back. And you know, throughout my years since then, you know, I continued with always really being interested modern scholars were were doing with you know testament studies and just ideas about god and further further like discoveries and, and thoughts you know to get more ancient texts and figure look at that in, in into context of everything else and i just i don't know i was watching lucifer and, it was, and my wife asked me he's like oh is that is, is that the is devil that what we just watched is that part of an actual mythology or lore somewhere like, did they use that from something? I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. And I went back and I, I started, like, digging out my books and, you know, Googling and trying to figure out, you know, pathology. Because, again, 
uh, classical languages, not only am I getting the Greek and Latin, but it's also like myths and legends and and that sort of thing. So for me, a value was mythology is not bad. Mythology has never been false story, which is a lot what a lot of people associate myth as as a false story. That's never been my thing. In fact, myth is a true story. It might not be scientifically or factually true or historically true, but it can it is a it conveys a truth about the human condition, the human psyche, the the way humanity's culture was when that myth was produced. And it 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 it's like art. You know, you look at a painting uh, so many people can jam to different kinds of music and get something out of the same damn tune that is very different. So I, I to me, I think that's what religion is. At, at its best, religion is art, and it can convey a lot of meaning. And what I think religion does with the concepts of good and evil, and in particularly with what a particular person might think about the figure of the devil, matters. That, you know, the other thing that I, for me, is that everybody has their own reality. You, you know, some people believe angels exist. Some people believe that they don't. Some people believe that ghosts exist. Some people don't. Uh, some people don't believe in God. Some people do. The, those realities are as real to them as the people who maybe oppose them. You know, uh, it, to say that God is as real as this bottle is very, very real to many, many people. While others will say, well, it's just a bottle or it doesn't, you know, and that's very real for them. I don't, I don't tackle what is real in my podcast. I tackle, well, what do you think about the devil? You think about the what, what if is, is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Because if you believe in good, the, there has to be evil. If you believe in God, a sense there has to be a devil. Or what is the devil? What is God? What is good? What is evil? Well, you know, These... in the Bible, in the Bible, they don't necessarily talk about, they talk about what good and evil is. They, they do that. Mm-hmm. But what they don't talk about, you know, is, it's really about the decisions that we make as people. That's something that, that is not hard on enough. Yeah. That we make the decisions in order to choose one side or the other. Yeah, man. Uh, there is a long tradition of that. And I think that what people believe is good or what pe- people believe is evil has real consequences. And we've seen that in the news, particularly in the past 10 years, day in and day out. It's all about what is good and what is evil in the news, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hate crimes and, and uh, bombings. And uh, death happens when somebody villainizes, demonizes the other. Um, and I'm listening. We're, we're over here. I just kind of. It. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just kind of. For me, it's, it's. I think that's what this podcast is about. Is you know, we can understand. As you want to understand the devil side of it. If that's even the devil, like, what's his name actually? His name's actually Lucifer. Well, what is no. the actual name of the devil? No, the actual name of the devil varies for between who you talk to. In my perspective, there is not one specific character of the devil. 
the devil is relative to different societies and cultures. It's a different being, can be a different role. You could almost talk, think about it as a title. Well, if the devil comes in many forms, that's one of the sayings that are always, and that's one of the most truthful things. Mm-hmm. Like the devil could come in tons and tons of different forms. And we may not necessarily know. The sh- yeah. The our saying on the show is the devil you don't the devil you don't know is the devil someone else does. Or you know, what is the saying that the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know? And I don't think that's true. You don't think knowing think your that- enemies or knowing who it is instead of the person who it's not only benefits you? I kind of wonder if we take for granted the devil we know and villainize the devil we don't know without understanding. I think a lot of the times the closest people are really the your worst enemies, in a sense. Sure. But that is a, does that mean that you actually know them? Sometimes you think you know them when you really don't. To your point, though, the very beginning of the biblical devil, the, in the New Testament, I mean, specifically... The Christian devil in the New Testament, it really does have its roots in what they call the intimate enemy. The enemy that you know, the enemy that is family, is part of your community that turns on you, that knows you, that rats you out to the authorities. That That is a very, very common understanding of who the devil is. He's an insider, you know. That's kind of an interesting point. And it was only until later years where that changed um, to a foreign or an alien enemy, somebody you don't know, but it is threatening you from the outside. Um, so it's this really interesting evolution historically of this character who was in your inner circle, who was in your family, in your tribe uh, almost, and then but the further you away you got from that event, the more it became this sort of esoteric or foreign or invisible enemy that was trying to attack you that could take any form, you know. And so it was more external than internal. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like, remember when you are children? When you are children, you never even heard about good and evil. You never... Yeah. You don't necessarily learn that... You don't necessarily get that education until you're actually growing up is when that seed is planted inside of you of like who is good, who is bad, what is good, what is bad. That's like it's I feel like it's amazing when we're children. You see how like as children, I'm not going to sit there and tell you about like what you see and what you don't see. But I, I certainly will sit there and tell you like you stay away from evil at an early age or at least that's yeah. what your parents are supposed to do. The thing that I love about the children point of view, the ability to accept myth as truth that sparks the imagination and informs your values decision in the way that it should. Now, uh, in a recent episode of my show, I talk about the myth of Santa Claus, that moment in point as you grow older, when you realize if you if that was part of your yeah, you know, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, yeah. the Tooth Fairy. Tooth Fairy, yeah. those things. But honestly, it, uh, for me, it felt mm-hmm. like the Santa Claus was the last one. Mm-hmm. And that, like, the, the Tooth Fairy, I could rationalize. Easter Bunny, okay, 
talking animal. I'm not sure. Okay, okay, I can see that. I, I you don't that. believe in Rudolph? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have a whole <laughs> rant about Rudolph. But I'll get to that. No <laughs> rant. I love Rudolph. Rudolph's one. Rudolph's awesome. awesome. He has the red nose. And I love that guy. <laughs> um, but no, Santa Claus. Like the disruption of that particular reality can make a particular effect on how you view re- reality and, and fantasy from that point forward. And um, and you get over it, and you do. And it's a thing that moves on, and you and depend on how your parents treat that story uh, and that myth and why we do that tradition uh, can make an effect. Um, but I, I bring that out to the extreme of the belief in God. When there's a point when a person who is a believer then sort of finds information or discovers an experience or has an experience that colors their reality to the point of no return. They can't go back. They can't. They can't. That isn't a thing anymore for them, which is what happened to me. What makes, I think what's different for me as someone who is, I guess, technically an atheist, um, I still... I mean, do we really call you an atheist if you have a belief? What is the actual definition of atheist for real? I think that's a that's a very very good question. You know, I don't I don't like the term atheist because of again the group of people who are associated with that term. Much like I fell out of uh, appreciation for the term Christian because I didn't like the general group of people who were associated with that term. But I still call myself a Lutheran, and I kind of still do. Which is catches a lot of people off guard because you know I, I said well I'm just a secular you know we have secular Jews I could be a secular loser <laughs> why not we have tons of things now there's there's so many different so-called religions and actual religions that we don't even know are religion the point that I want to make is that I don't think the religion is the problem the consequences of belief especially in the terms of good and evil and. I mean, if I were to, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but if I were to tell you that we need belief, no matter what kind of belief. Absolutely. We do. We have to. The really interesting thing, Javier, is Mm -hmm. that even scientists from every. Oh, yeah. From every lots of form where they talk about. cannot, Cannot define what consciousness is. We don't understand consciousness. We don't know what it means. We know we have it, but we don't know why. Others don't, or maybe we don't know why we can't perceive it enough. But it's it's really nebulous, this term or this idea of consciousness. And the ramifications around that in and of itself is just whew, more than I can talk about today. But that alone just tells me that how we experience what is real and what we have, I agree with you, we have to create beliefs. We have no choice. I mean, beliefs are a thing that are needed. And not just religion, but in life. Like, you have to believe in something. And Mm -hmm. when I say that, I actually mean belief. I don't mean that that cheesy memes where they tell you to always be ready and and stand on your feet and whatever else that they they say, but actually believe in yourself, believe in your cause, believe in the people around you. Because that's, in a sense, what you're doing it for. When you say that, though, 
one thing that kind of struck me is if you say, I believe in you, you is my friend. I believe that you will come through. I believe in you. I believe in your ability to take on whatever it is you're, that's the kind of belief that I kind of wonder if people really want and, and are trying to get to. I mean, some people can handle that belief. Some people, but it's a sense of trust is really what it is. That's a good point. It's really more of a sense of trust and a sense of like welcomeness and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you say these kinds of things to people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I think that, that to me, mythology and myth and story is so important. It doesn't matter to me if the story is not factually accurate. That's never bothered me at all. No, no story will ever be. The story, the story, the point of the story is what is the story teaching me? What is the point of the story? The story is going to have basis in reality, in somebody's reality. But the story evokes the imagination. It tells you something. It teaches you something. And I think where we get in trouble is requiring that story to be true in all cases. That's just something we decided to make up. We decided that that had to be true for everything. Yeah, it is, for the most part. I mean... We can also decide that's not true. I mean, it's like what they say, the winners write history. Yeah. The winners are the ones that write history. Oh, man. And the people are the ones that revise the history. Like, have you ever gotten your hands on, like, older books? If you don't mind me asking. It's hard. It's hard to, to, to read some of this stuff and go, I mean, you really have to unpack. Well, there's a saying that we've we've uncovered, not just us, but no, you go ahead. trying to get it out there. Say, get it out that, there. Say what it is. That's what I mean, we for do. For us, for my podcast, the idea is our goal is to create more content. We want to give people more access to what the historians and the scholars are putting out there. We just want to make it understandable to everybody. Translation is commentary, meaning whenever you have to translate something from one language to another, whether you know it or not, you're imposing your own opinions on that. And one of the things you have to do in examining those things is as you step back and you relapse that translation, is try to understand what the commentary is. And what atheists, I think, are too quick to do is just to call it bullshit. And I think that's a giant disservice to culture and art and history. Well, I mean, have you ever honestly had a real conversation with an atheist? Yeah. I it's do kind of hard. I am one. It's kind of hard to, <laughs> to actually have a conversation with an atheist. Like an actual atheist? I suppose maybe by your definition that would be true. but um, Well, like my definition it, is like if you have a belief of good or evil or God or the devil, I really... To me, when someone tells me they're an atheist, I honestly think they're kind of boring. And strangely, okay. it's it's somebody that doesn't have an opinion. It's somebody that doesn't have, like, not just a belief, but if I were to tell you, do you believe in ghosts? Well, I mean, if you don't believe God and the devil, what makes me think that you believe in ghosts? What makes me think you believe in aliens? But that's a but that's a decision that you've made. On your yeah, mind. yeah, that's, a, that's a, a thing that I say that's kind of like, where I'm a hypocrite in a way. When I say that, so maybe maybe think about just one thing that I'm learning mm-hmm. is that I'm encountering viewpoints that I would 
normally just really be at a pose to and at odds with. But where I'm at right now, I'm, I just turned 44, and I think I'm just realizing that it's better to let go of all of that and just listen to somebody else's belief and somebody else's reality. Nothing I can say or do is really going to change that. You mean you're becoming more acceptance of like other people? Not acceptance. Well, I mean, not, not necessarily acceptance, but just... More tolerant, is that the better word? More tolerant of what people have to say and do? No. No, what was the word you were looking for? I'm definitely not more tolerant. What is it we're looking for? I'm I'm more willing to listen to them, to try and understand their content, and to find the empathy of where they're coming from so that I can figure out how to pass some of that on to somebody else and hopefully in creating a larger, because I'm doing that for somebody else, and maybe that work may influence this person I'm talking to. Maybe that, maybe something that comes out of these discussions will go, will, will allow someone to be challenged in what they think. But it really, I really find it a waste of time to try and change people's beliefs, if that's my goal. A waste of energy. And it doesn't serve me at all to try and change someone's belief because I have no control. But what I do have control over is what I'm interested in. I'm really, I'm finding as I get, maybe it's because I'm getting older or whatever, but I'm really finding that I'm really interested in knowing what people think about all of this stuff. And I know I've been talking a lot. But no, you're good. Believe me, we have plenty of time. We got whiskey then, going. Uh, we're we're, all, we're yeah. good. Like, but the, the point is, is that I think if people can listen to, like, a point that I have made is that I want Satanists on my show. I want all brands of Satanists on my show. Not because I'm a Satanist, because I'm not. I actually don't subscribe to their... I mean, I know a Satanist here in Austin if you want to have a word with them. Oh, I've had plenty of Oh, Satanists. okay. Like, yeah. I mean, like, he, he plays... I think they're great... He's a Dungeons but, and Dragons player, so you're gonna have to like cater to his Dungeons and Dragons ness. I have Jewish, Muslim, and uh, Christian, and even right wing evangelical Christian Dungeons and Dragons players in my circles. So yeah, I I think we're okay there. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he he um, gave me that, and I was like, that's pretty loaded. I was like, what, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll go with it. Like, like are, are you? Yeah. I feel like D and D is such a low bar anymore. Like D and D is pretty popular these days. It's it's not even a, a well. It's it's not that it's a low bar. I think it's just more accepted now. Yeah. In modern, which I mean, in my opinion, it always should have been because it's really freaking fun. It is, um, but it wasn't like it was fun because it was like our thing, and now it's actually it was our thing. Wasn't yeah, it? and now it's it not was, our thing anymore. Now it's like everybody's thing. Now it's the thing. Pop, like the popular kids. Yeah, and I was what like, fuck is that all about? Like your mother is playing D and D. I mean, cool, <laughs> but uh, so are the jocks. Why are the jocks playing D and D? They're supposed to be fucking playing football. And oh yeah, they play football. Whatever. They play fantasy football. It's D and D. There is that. Yeah. yeah. It's like they they it's gone. Like it's no longer our thing that we have to like. It is it. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. We got to dig deeper it in really our, is. our rabbit like holes. Those, those taboo days are gone. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, is I was just saying that, that I want, like, a lot of people are afraid of the term Satanist. And there are, a lot of people are afraid of the concept that they have associated with that. But they've never ever talked to it. They've never listened to anybody as an actual Satanist. Like someone who actually says, Satan is my guy. And for me, I was like, well, I want to know who that is. I want to know who actually thinks Satan is their guy. And I want to know why. And I want to know, given all the things that are weighted with this figure, why would you choose Satan as your guy? Well, and they told me. I could tell you something. It makes sense. And I get it. I could tell you because that some of Because it's not the Satan that everybody else is trying to put on everything. So. It's a different figure. They've transformed it. I think that's cool. It's it's mythology at its best. It's it's honestly Jesus was a Satan by that particular definition, which is crazy to a lot of people. But hear me out. To a lot most Satanists, Satan is a figure of savior of the discarded. The person who sticks up for those who can't have a voice for themselves. The friend of the prostitutes and tax collectors and the drug addicts. You mean the voice uh, of the voiceless? The voice of the voiceless. Satan is the, the, the being, the uh, representative of ultimate rebellion against uh, systems of oppression. Well, that's every major... Christian martyr. Well, know? I mean, you just basically describe a lot of religions in general. Yeah. You know, and then you Jesus don't really want to. And Confucius and uh, Salvador Dali. I mean, look, look, look what's in the Quran. Revolutionaries. Just look what's in the Quran and you, you can get a good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the question is was Jesus satanic? Well, by modern Satan, uh, Satanism standards, maybe. Well, I mean, you but understand. That, you understand what points of view are, right? Yeah. You know, like, well, that's what I'm trying to. Well, let me say. Well, let me give you. Let me give you like a I good don't know example. If I understand it, but that's my goal. Yeah, but let me give you a good example, like Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. Noah's Ark's a perfect example. In one view, we sit there and we have Noah save the world by having all the animals on the ark. But in another yeah. view, somebody just created genocide by destroying the world. That's a, that's a perfectly yeah. like good two views that people don't want to acknowledge one of the sides. Let's go back to Exodus. Okay, let's go to Pharaoh. Exodus. And the Pharaoh decides to kill all the male-born children of all the Jews in the area because of this threat that's coming through. But God says, no, instead... We're going to kill the male-born, firstborn of everyone unless you put the blood and the magic symbol over your door. And this is Passover. And the angel of death comes over and kills fucking babies. And if, and even just... Uh, if they didn't have the... Yeah, that, if they didn't have the blood on the door, those, those children You know, they didn't have the blood on the door, like, they're fucking dead. It's a point of view on how, like, I don't think people really think of like how to look at things the in matthew the same exact thing happened so in matthew what's re really interesting is matthew is very concerned about validating uh jesus's birth as a noble birth and a birth that was foretold and was very special 
and it was a sign from God. Uh, because the Pharisees and the religious people at the time were really calling in question, like, no, Jesus was born of these common Jews. They were from Nazareth. They weren't even from Bethlehem, which is apparently where all this stuff is supposed to come from. So Matthew writes his, his gospel saying, no, Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, but his birth story reflects Moses' story. So Herod, who is the Jewish authority in Jerusalem, Jewish king at the time, is Pharaoh and commands everyone two years, all the firstborn two years and younger to be executed because they're trying to kill Jesus as, as this baby. A Jewish king is now Herod, is now, is, is now the Pharaoh. This massive execution is being done by Jews and Jesus has to flee and his family have to flee to Egypt for safety, for safe harbor. The place where they were captive, they are now protected from Jerusalem, which was, you know, promised land. It just turns it all on its head. I've never read Matthew. Oh, you should. This way. Well, no, I've read it. I mean, yeah, you, but you've never thought I've of like never the read other it way with this context uh, until I I dove into the his you know the history and and just sort of like searching for where the devil happens and that sort of thing. Wow, a lot of the Bible stuff. are mind blowing, and there's I, a, I love it. Can I, you imagine? I it's, can you imagine reading the about the stuff that they didn't put inside of the Bible? Well, we have. We have a lot access to a lot of that, you know, that they discovered. Here, here in Austin, we have a an older bookstore, a much older bookstore. Mm-hmm. They have older books, and they have a uh, they actually have a Bible. And you know, the Bible is five thousand pages. There's five thousand pages, and the book was printed and released in 1935. Wow. And uh, you're telling me they have a Bible that's five thousand pages. And then when you get the new Bibles, when you receive these new books, they're only a few hundred pages. They're not even anything. They've been revised and edited down, and, and stuff has been taken out. Translation is commentary. Yeah. You know, we, we can't even, you can't even get, like, the real story. No one can. That's the thing that everybody needs to understand. No one can get that. Because even the earliest copies that we have are copies and copies of copies. Because the original manuscripts are gone, they don't exist. So, so we just have to kind of, you know, do with what, what we, we have. have. You know, the good news is that we have a lot. We have a lot of history. We have a lot of things that exist. We have a lot of texts that exist outside of the Bible that validate certain events that have happened, and it validates others. Historians have these this great job of being able to go to really challenge that and think about that. That's what we do on our show. We we just we look at that and go, wow, that's these people, you know, look at it this way. We're reading this book now. We're looking at it that way. Isn't it interesting? The Hebrew Bible, Satan isn't an individual character until after they come back from the Babylonian exile. Most Christians have no idea what that even means. No, because we only read books from Christianity. 
We don't actually read. Yeah. We don't read. That's right. And the only reason I, I even... Oh, the Quran. The Quran. There we go. Sorry about that. The, the Quran. Yeah. You know, the Quran is... That's it. If you ever, like... I've only read a little bit of the Quran, and only because of I, because of the prison, I was uh-huh. I was actually one of the officers that oversee the uh, the Muslims yeah. during their their time of uh, their fasting. Their fasting during their fasting period, and they're only allowed to eat certain foods, but only when the sun goes down. Very similar to uh, the Jewish people, honestly. Like there's a very specific time period for for Jewish people as well. I mean, all the all. Other religions now they have some type of of common area, common thing inside of them. Like no matter what it anybody wants to say. Podcast called Me and My Mother, and I got in touch with this person through actually my cousin, who is a self-proclaimed atheist, head to toe. <laughs> um, it's like a vegan, but not actually a vegan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Yasmin was one of his friends, and I, I he put me in contact with. He liked what I was doing, and so I connected with Yasmin Bendas, who does this almost like NPR-like great, you know, podcast on life as an American Muslim. And I had her on the show to talk about the Muslim perspective of the devil, and it was fantastic. I think the biggest thing that a lot of us got out of it was how the same the stories were. And how similar the values were, and and it was really just kind of validating again. Once of those sort of things, like people are just so afraid of what they don't understand. All I want to do is is to provide some access to understanding on my show to anybody to provide like, okay, you want to learn more about this? Here, go read this, or go check this out, or that sort of thing. Not saying anything that we're saying on this show is the truth. There's no, no definitive thing we're ever going to claim that. But the point is, if we try and understand different perspectives, maybe we'll have a little bit more empathy for what's happening. You know, I, one of the things that really caught me this week was there was a story, and I forget who it was. I don't really follow the news all that much, but someone passed it my way. It was a some sort of senator or somebody that said that she was running specifically on the platform of running against the Luciferian threat. What does that even mean? Right. That was my first question. <laughs> what does that even mean? My second question was, well, what did the Luciferians ever do to you? They're pretty cool people, honestly. <laughs> um, and third is, going back to the first question, what do you think the Luciferian threat really is? I mean, it just sounds like something you made up. Uh, <laughs> and by and large, it probably is. That sounds like something you're just going to laugh at and then watch them lose very badly. It's just, but it's something that makes it into the news. It's something that makes it into the consciousness of the general populace. And, I'm, and, and once again, it's not something any of us can ever control. I just kind of hope that maybe what we can do is provide at least a source of like, hey, you want to learn more about something, go check it out for yourself. Here's some here's where you can start looking. I'm not a Christian. Jeremy's not a Christian. Emily might consider herself a Christian. I'm not sure. 
None of us really go to church anymore, but none of us have any problem with that either. Religion is not like like many, uh, uh, you know, unlike a lot of atheists. Uh, I feel like my biggest criticism about most atheism, most atheism is that it's too deconstructionist. That all religion is crap and it's the root of all evil. And I don't believe that for a second. Because I think, as you say, we all have belief. We all make decisions. We all values. And we all have our stories. But it's what, what actions do we do with that makes a difference. How, you know, what causes us to think someone else is evil? And what do we do with that information? That's kind of important. Oh. Because that can involve... That that can result in somebody's death. You know, I was um I was on someone's podcast, and it's same as a it's History Bob, I think, or History Bobby, and we weren't really talking about religion, but we were talking about how all the same, how all the religious books basically in the same points. And I was telling them, I'm like, wouldn't it be wild that the people that experience all these things are actually the people like they're all just one group. They all experienced like this one moment in life and they decided to make their own interpretations of religion. Kind of like the Avengers in a, in a crazy weird sense of like all these people yeah. assemble to, yeah. to thwart off the great evil or wherever they want to call it or, or they participated in writing the stories and they kind of went their own separate ways and that's the, the birth of religion. It sounds wild, but I I'm like, how does everybody have the same stories? Like how does everybody come to the same conclusions? And yeah. we were just kind of BSing. Like, I was just kind of BSing when I said it. But when you really think about it, like, how do everybody cross, like, the same points when it's time to cross these points? The question that that brings me to is what human experiences across all times and all cultures and all places seem to be a universal experience? We can identify what those are, but then we have to ask a question. Why are those universal? Yeah. Why do we all seem to experience that? I don't even know where to go with that, you know. But there are. I do think that there are some things that are just, we're wired that way. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, is it really that hard to believe that the reason all the stories cross in even different religions is because they were all part of it in some way, shape, or form? It's that's a crazy it. thought. Like, it's a very, like, insane, mind-blowing... It sounds like a really fun pantheon that I want to go explore. <laughs> it sounds like like I'm, I like your... I, I like your uh, adventures. I mean, our... Uh, what was that newest one from Marvel? Uh, the Eternals. The Eternals? It's kind of like The Eternals, right? Yeah, almost in a sense, but not quite, because The Eternals maybe is a comic book. Maybe they're not robots. Yeah, like, it, The Eternals are like a comic book, and, you know, and, uh, and I read a book, it's uh, it's basically God versus the, the Nilliflums. Oh, yeah. It was God yeah, versus the Nilliflums, and apparently God was trying to destroy the aliens because the aliens were breeding with humans, and it, it's a really wild story. Like, one of the inmates at work told me to read this book because, like, generally... Like I'm pretty open to have like wild conversations, and one of them is one of them overheard me talking about a podcast, and I like I've I've done like all kinds of like wild podcasts. Just you might need to get. 
I mean, you can get it wrong. We can just fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had him on the show, and it was fantastic. Uh, Wajid Hassan. Oh, my God. This guy is amazing. That's the episode that I did with uh, Wajid Hassan. Blew my fucking mind. Why? Right, what was on it? He comes from a perspective I didn't even know existed. What is perspective uh, that he has? It is a... He comes from kind of a, a yogi kind of perspective. He told me that Satan was destroyed in the late 60s by three agents who descended to the lower realms through astral projection and scattered uh, Satan's essence across. It's wild. I don't know. I can't even <laughs> You need to listen to this. Because it's... It is bananas, and it is awesome, and it is also, at the end of it, I was like, I can't disagree with anything this guy says, because it, like, I want all of this to happen. This is some amazing, like, okay. Well, I mean, it's just like it's a... way different than I would have ever gotten there, but... I mean, it's like um, in World War Two when we won the World War, mm-hmm. but apparently we didn't actually kill Hitler until a few years later. Right. You know? Yeah. Like yeah, it's it's some wild stuff, but I mean, which is kind of believable. Like I could see the Nazis having their their rebellion, like not giving up. It's, it's definitely one of these things where, like that particular interview, widened my perspective to a point. Like okay, okay, I don't know a goddamn thing about this universe. <laughs> I really have no clue. And everyone has something really fascinating to hopefully contribute. And then I interviewed someone else and then realized that not everyone has something that they can contribute. Well, some people are more interesting than others. And some people just yeah. know how to, to tell you their point of view and maintain your... Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe... Absolutely. But yeah, but um, thank you. I think we're approaching yeah. the hour, actually. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. It was very, very sporadic. I, I wasn't expecting to do anything, but I <laughs> had a drink or two. Yeah. And Hopefully you recorded it. You can put it on your podcast. I recorded it yeah. over here. Well, you have yourself a good evening, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Don. Hopefully we can do this have again. Yeah, speak me anytime. No problem, sir.